Chapter Thirty Two of Traylon by Max Brand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Chapter Thirty Two to apprehend a man. As if to make up for its silence of the blast when the two reached it late the night before, Eldara was going full that evening. Kilrain went straight to Dr. Young, to bring him later to join Nash at the house of Deputy Glendon. The front of the deputy's house was utterly dark, but Nash, unabashed, knocked loudly on the door, and went immediately to the rear of the place. He was in time to see a light wink out at an upper window of the two-story shack. He slipped back, chuckling among the trees, and waited until the door slammed, and a dark figure ran noiselessly down the steps and out into the night. Then he returned, still chuckling, to the front of the house, and banged on the door again. A window above him raised at length, and a drawling voice, apparently overcome with sleep, called down, "'What's up in Eldara?' Nash answered, "'Everything's wrong. Deputy Glendon, he sits up in the back room playing poker and hitting red-eye. No wonder Eldara's going to hell.' A muffled cursing rolled down to the cowpuncher, and then a sharp challenge. "'Who's there?' "'Nash, you blockhead!' "'Nash!' cried a relieved voice. "'Come in, confound you. I thought—no matter what I thought. Come in.' Nash opened the door and went up the stairs. The deputy met him clad in a bathrobe and carrying a lamp. Under the bathrobe he was fully dressed. "'Thought your game was called, eh?' grinned the cattleman. "'Sure. I had a tidy little thing in blackjack running, and was pulling the iron boys, one after another. Why didn't you tip me off? You could have sat in with us.' "'Nope. I'm here on business.' "'Let's have it.' He led the way back into the room and placed the lamp on a table littered with cards and a black bottle looming in the center. Drink? Nope. I said I came on business. What kind? Bard? I thought so. I want a posse. What's he done? Killed Calamity Ben at Drew's place. Started a fire that near burned the house, and lifted Duffy's horse. Glendon whistled softly. Nice little start. Sure, and it's just beginning for this bard. I'll go out to Drew's place and see what he's done. And then start after him with a gang? Sure. By that time he'll be a thousand miles away. Well, I'm running this little party. Let me get a gang together. You can swear him in and put me in charge. I'll guarantee to get him before morning. Glendon shook his head. It ain't legal, Steve. You know that. The hell with legality. That's what you say, but I got to hold my job. You'll do your part going to Drew's place with Doc Young. He'll be here with Shorty Kilrain in a minute. And let you go after Bard? Right. Far as I know, you may just shoot him down, and then come back and say you done it because he resisted arrest. Well? You admit that's what you want, Steve? Absolute. Well, partner, it can't be done. That ain't apprehending a man. It's just plain murder. Do you think you could ever catch that bird alive? I don't know. I'd try. Never in a thousand years. He don't know the country. He'll travel in a circle, and I'll ride him down. He's got somebody with him that knows the country better than you and me. 
Who? The face of Nash twisted into an ugly grimace. Sally Fortune. The hell! It is, but it's true. It ain't possible. Sally ain't the kind to make a fool of herself about any man, let alone a gunfighter. That's what I thought, but I seen her back up this bard against a room full of men. And she'll keep on backing him till he's got his toes turned up. That's another reason for you to get bard, eh? Well, I can't send you after him, Nash. That's final. Not a bit. I know too much about you, Glendon. The glance of the other raised slowly, fixed on Nash, and then lowered to the floor. He produced papers and Durham, rolled and lighted his cigarette, and inhaled a long puff. So that's the game, Steve? I hate to do it. Let that go. You'll run the limit on this? Listen, Glendon, I've got to get this bard. He's outridden me, outshot me, outgamed me, outlucked me, outguessed me, and taken Sally. He's mine. He belongs all to me. Do you see that? I'm only seeing one thing just now. I know. You think I'm double-crossing you. Maybe I am. But I'm desperate, Glendon. After all, mused the deputy, you'd simply be doing work I'd have to do later. You're right about this bard. He'll never be taken alive. Good old Glendon. I knew you'd see the light. I'll go out and get the boys I want in ten minutes. Wait here. Shorty and Doc Young will come in a minute. One more thing. When you get to Drew's place, you'll find him acting queer. What about? I don't know. It's a bad mess. You see, he's after this bard himself. The way I figure it, he wants him left alone. He'd raise hell if he knew a posse was after the tenderfoot. Drew's a bad one to get against me. I know. You think I'm double-crossing? I'll do it. But this squares all scores between us, Steve. Right. It leaves the debt on my side. And you know I've never dodged an I.O.U. Drew may talk queer. He'll tell you that Bard done all that work in self-defense. Did he? The point is he killed a man and stole a hoss. No matter what comes of it, he's got to be arrested, don't he? And shot down while resisting arrest? Steve, I'd hate to have you out after me like this. But you won't listen to Drew? Not this one time. But, Lord, man, I hate to face him if he's on the warpath. Who'll you take with you? Shorty, of course. He was Calamity Ben's pal. The rest will be, don't laugh, Butch Conklin and his gang. Butch? Hold yourself together. That's what I mean. Butch Conklin. After you dropped him the other night? Self-defense, and he knows it. I can find Butch, and I can make him go with me. Besides, he's out for Bard himself. The deputy said with much meaning, You can do a lot of queer things, Nash. Forget it, Glendon. I will for a while. Do you really think I can let you take out Butch and his gunman again, Bard? Why, they're ten times worse than the tenderfoot. Maybe, but there's nothing proved again em, nothing but a bit of cattle liftin', maybe, and things like that. The point is, they're all hard men, and with them along, I can't help but get barred. Murder ain't proved on Butch and his men, but it will be before long. Wait till it's proved. In the meantime, use em all. You've a long head, Nash. Glendon, I'm making the biggest play of my life. I'm off to find Butch. You'll stand firm with Drew? 
I won't hear a word he says. So long. Be back in ten minutes. Wait for me. He was as good as his word. Even before the ten minutes had elapsed, he was back, and behind him followed a crew of heavy thumping boots up the stairs of Glendon's house, and into the room where he sat with Dr. Young and Shorty Kilrain. They rose, but not from respect, when Nash entered with Conklin and his four ill-famed followers behind. The soiled bandage on the head of Butch was far too thick to allow his hat to sit in its normal position. It was perched high on top, and secured in place by a bit of string which passed from side to side under the chin. Behind him came Lovell, an almost albino type with straw-colored hair, and eyes bleached and passionless. The vacuous smile was never gone from his lips. More feared and more hated than Conklin himself was Isaacs. The latter was fastidious, wore a blue-striped vest, without a coat to obscure it, and about his throat was knotted a flaming vermilion necktie, fastened in place with a diamond stick-pin, obviously the spoil of some recent robbery. Glendon, watching, ground his teeth. McNamara followed. He had been a squatter, but his family had died of a fever, and McNamara's mind had been unsettled ever since. Whiskey had finished the work of sending him on the downward path with Conklin's little crew of desperadoes. Men shrank from facing those two bright, wandering eyes, yet it was from pity almost as much as horror. Finally came Euphert. He was merely a round-faced boy of nineteen, proud of the distinguished bad company he kept. He was that weak-minded type which is only strong when it becomes wholly evil. With different leadership he would have become simply a tobacco-chewing hanger-on at crossroads saloons and general merchandise stores. As it was, feeling dignified by the brotherhood of crime into which he had been admitted as a full member, and eager to prove his qualifications, he was as dangerous as any member of the crew. The three men who were already in the room had been prepared by Glendon for this new arrival, but the fact was almost too much for their credence. Consequently they rose, and Dr. Young muttered at the ear of Glendon, "'Is it possible, Deputy Glendon, that you're going to use these fellows?' "'A thief to catch a thief,' whispered Glendon in reply. He said aloud, "'Butch, I've been looking for you for a long time, but I never really expected to see you quite as close as this.' "'You said it,' grinned Butch. "'I ain't been watching for you real close, but now that I see you, you look more or less like a man should look.' "'How are you, Glendon?' He held out his hand, but the deputy, shifting his position, seemed to overlook the grimy, proffered palm. "'You fellows know that you're wanted by the law,' he said, frowning on them. A grim meaning rose in the vacuous eyes of Lovell. Isaacs caressed his diamond pen, smiling in a sickly fashion. McNamara's wandering stare fixed and grew unhumanly bright. Euphert openly dropped his hand on his gun-butt and stood sullenly defiant. "'You know that you're wanted, and you know why,' went on Glendon. "'But I've decided to give you a chance to prove you're white men and useful citizens. Nash has already told you what we want. It's work for seven men against one, but that one is apt to give you all plenty to do. If you are successful,' he stammered a little over the right word, "'what you have done in the past will be forgotten.' Hold your right hands up, and repeat after me. And they repeated the oath after him in a broken, drawling chorus, stumbling over the formal, legal phraseology. He ended, and then, Nash, you're in charge of the gang. 
do what you want to with them, and remember that you're to get barred back in town unharmed, if possible. Butch Conklin smiled, and the smile spread grimly from face to face among the gang. Evidently this point had already been elucidated to them by Nash, who now mustered them out of the house and assembled them on their horses in the street below. "'Which way do we travel?' asked Shorty Kilrain, reigning close beside the leader, as though he were anxious to disestablish any relationship with the rest of the party. Two ways,' answered Nash. "'Of course, I don't know what way Bard headed, because he's got the girl with him. But I figure it this way. If a tenderfoot knows any part of the range at all, he'll go in that direction after he's in trouble. I've seen it work out before. So I think Bard may have ridden straight for the old Drew place on the other side of the range.' I know a shortcut over the hills. We can reach there by morning. Kilrain, you'll go there with me. It may be that Bard will go near the place, but not right to it. Chances may be good that he'll put up at some place near the old ranch house, but not right on the spot. Jerry Wood, he's got a house about four or five miles to the north of Drew's old ranch. Butch, you take your men and ride to Wood's place. Then switch south and ride for Partridge's store. If we miss him at Drew's old house, we'll go on, and you join us at Partridge's store, and then we'll double back. He'll be somewhere inside that circle and Aldera. You can lay on that. Now, boys, are your hosses fresh? They were. Then ride, and don't spare the spurs. Hoss flesh is cheaper than your own hides. The cavalcade separated and galloped in two directions through the town of Aldara. End of chapter 32